The personal views and opinions expressed by our podcast guests are their own and are not legal advice or official statements by their organizations. Hello, this is Debbie Reynolds of the Data Diva Talk Privacy Podcast, where we discuss data privacy issues with leaders around the world for information that businesses need to know now. Today, I'm very happy to have a special guest with me today, Beth Winters of Operomic. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for having me, Debbie. Glad to be here. (laughs) We collaborate on content related to data privacy, and uh, I have been cooking up this podcast for several months, and I thought, wait a minute, we should do something together, you know, because we do this. (laughs) I always love our conversations, and I'm, I'm delighted to be just have another opportunity to talk with you. So you're in uh, marketing um, at Operave, and maybe you could describe a bit about uh, you and your role there. And then also I want to talk a bit or have you talked a bit about something you said to me once about being a recovering attorney. So talk about your your transition, your career, and, and what you're doing now. Sure, absolutely. Well, I started off going to law school right out of undergrad, kind of knowing, not knowing what I wanted to do. But I wanted, um, I was interested in intellectual property law, and specifically working with uh, creative people. So in the copyright and trademark space, I did a concentration in intellectual property law at Boston University, and did some work with volunteer lawyers for the arts up in Massachusetts, started doing some webinars and articles on topics in art law, as well as copyright and trademark law um, related to artists, a little bit of estate planning for artists. And while I really enjoyed the people that I was working with, I loved working with creative people and and helping them out uh, with their legal issues. I found that the work itself wasn't as engaging to me as the marketing side of things. So I started transitioning into marketing after, after practicing um, for four years. I graduated in 2009, so this was um, the, the last recession. And it was kind of a difficult time anyway for, for myself as an attorney trying to find my way. I was kind of glad for the opportunity to obviously follow my passion in terms of art law and copyright and trademark law, um, but having that easy out <laughs> as well was was nice. I made that transition into marketing after about four years. Moved back to New York, moved um, moved to New York so I could do marketing full time. And I was working with I with a healthcare uh, practice, doing their marketing. Decided I wanted to get back to tech and working with um, what I had what I had originally drawn me to the law was you know working with creative people, um, working with new innovations, and protecting those innovations. Um, but from this, from the marketing side, so starting to promote those innovations as well. To do that, I went back and got an MBA at University of Texas here in Austin and really was excited to make that pivot into product marketing, which I felt 
took um, a lot of the skills that I had as an attorney, where you need to be able to make a compelling argument and anticipate objections, think about what your audience is and what they need and try to be specific for them. So right out of the MBA program, I started working with a startup here in Austin called Disco, and that's a legal tech company in the e-discovery space. I was really enjoying bringing my subject matter background as an attorney, um, working in working with a legal tech company, as well as my passion for marketing. Um, it's been a great combination for me. And worked with Disco uh, for a little while, worked with um, another e-discovery company as well. And now I'm with Aparabi, which is a more of actually an IT product, but it has a lot of applications within data privacy and compliance, um, some applications for e-discovery. So it's been a great fit for me to be able to write about those subjects and have bring in my background as an attorney, but think about the different audiences that our product is geared toward both in the business community, IT, as well as uh, legal and compliance. So I feel like you you have exposure to privacy in at least two ways that I can think of. So one is definitely having a product that can help people uh, with sort of privacy issues, navigating in terms of being able to locate data and be able to take action on data, but then also from a marketing perspective where I feel like, especially, you know, since the GDPR has come out, like the marketing folks, I feel you kind of bear the brunt of trying to adjust to all these cookies and all this other stuff. So what, tell me a little bit about your feeling about that. Well, I think it's a really fascinating space to be in right now because the landscape is changing so quickly. There's a lot of new laws that you need to be aware of both as a marketer and as an attorney, um, if you're an in-house counsel. So it's been fascinating for me to have that front row seat to see all the changes coming down the pipeline, starting with um, GDPR, CCPA, now the CPRA, and different states are starting to adopt their own laws. So I love just having that ability to always learn new things. But I think it's also important as a marketer to be flexible and adaptable. So you need to be open to changing and using new technologies. And in my role right now, we are working on a website redesign and we are starting to make sure that our website is going to be in compliance with these new data privacy laws, with the ADA accessibility requirements. So it's interesting for me both as an attorney and as a marketer. Um, I think it's, there's a lot to absorb and a lot to, a lot to know. And it's hard to piece it all together. But once you do, it's very rewarding. Yeah. I don't know. I think one thing that happened around the time the GDPR came out, I'm a 
a secret webmaster. I don't typically tell people that, uh, but because that the back end of how things work and how the data flows work has always interested me. But one thing that's, that's always annoyed me is when GDPR came out, all these companies started throwing out these cookie banners. So mostly it was because at that point, a lot of companies couldn't tell whether a person from the EU or not. So that meant that everybody's like in all these cookie banners. Um, and there, were, there aren't any laws here that say that you have to do that. But, you know, I, I feel like even when I'm in the U.S., I get way more cookie I know, yeah. alerts than I do when I'm out of the country. Because at least in, in the EU, they can only ask you some things a certain amount of times. They can't ask you like 20 times. <laughs> right. No, it's not. Yeah, now it's every time you go to the, the web page, like the homepage, or go to the next page, it's it's asking you for, for another cookie alert. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty annoying. <laughs> it's very annoying. I wish we can get, get past that because... Uh, mm-hmm. Because especially in the U.S., we're more, when I talk to my European folks, I have to, you know, explain to them that the U.S. is more of a notice country as opposed to a consent one. It's like um, we had this thing in Chicago where many years ago that some ice fell off a building. And so like now a lot of the big buildings, they have signs like beware of ice falling, you know, so it's like they don't actually fix the problem. They're like, yeah, they put a sign up and say, oh, watch for falling ice or whatever. So you can do most anything here if you give people notice. And it's not really, you're not asked to consent. Like you can opt out. Like there there aren't a lot of things where they force you to opt in, you know, here. Right. It's more of an opt out, um, the United States, whereas Europe is more opt in. Yeah, totally. So it's so funny because when I talk to my the European people, especially I work with companies that are like in Europe, they're trying to move to different markets. So, so a lot of times they don't understand about, they're like, oh, well, you have to get the person's consent. I'm like, no, you actually don't. <laughs> you just have to let them know. That's pretty much it. That's how things go. It's, yep. it's like, do it at your yeah. own risk. But yeah, I'm hoping that people that in the U.S., we, we don't need that many cookies. It's just ridiculous. What, cookie batters. It's outrageous. There are no laws here for that. In the U.S., I think we've always had a lot of contracts. It's like such a contract-based society where uh, you have to sign away your rights every time you want to do something. <laughs> and people are kind of used to it here. They, they're just like, okay, I'll just click this and not even read it. And there's, you know, you have that with any software like the click wrap and the shrink wrap notices it says to, to scroll down and read the whole thing but nobody ever does <laughs> so i think it's just like a, one of those parts of life that everybody is used to now so we we don't notice it as much until you go to another place that doesn't that doesn't require it yeah well and then apple is rolling out for their people who put apps on their platform that they have to use this nutrition label that's supposed to simplify what their privacy stuff is like so i would love to see more stuff like that because i don't think anyone wants to read 80 pages of a person no i mean and i've seen that here and in my job as the solutions marketing manager we'll get stuff back from our um, outside counsel and the, the the contracts that they send us are just so long and it's a lot of legalese so there are overly complicated. It's just a lot more complicated than it needs to be. And things 
are hopefully moving back toward, you know, plain English and making things understandable. That's the whole point of a lot of these laws is, and data privacy is to put people on notice. So they have to be able to understand <laughs> what, what it is uh, they are sign- they're signing away. Yeah, that, what they agreed to, like, you know, like I have friends that have kids and they, you know, let them use phones and apps and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, you just download whatever and play whatever. But like if your kid told you, hey, I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down the street and sign this 80 page contract that I didn't read that's going to possibly impact my life in the future in ways that I don't think about. Like you'd be like, right. wait a minute, this is not, wait, wait. <laughs> right. And I, and that's what's interesting about the new, you know, the California laws, um, they have the rights for minors. So you're not supposed to sell the data of a minor under the age of 13. You're not, um, for a minor under the age of 16, you need to have parental consent. I mean, how do you enforce that? How do you really implement that? It, it becomes really, really challenging for companies. Yeah. So this, I think, it's funny. So the CCPA uh, and now the CPRA have get, garnered a lot of interests internationally. So I have people in Europe talk about the CCPA more than people in the U.S. because they're very interested in what's happening, especially because Silicon Valley is in California and a lot of the things that we are going to have to deal with privacy regulations, their their customers are wanting them to make it easier for them to comply. So I think that, you know, besides the legal part where people are trying to comply with CCPA, there's also kind of a product part of it where you're saying, okay, now because we know we have CCPA, people have these, these um, requirements, let's make it easier for them to get the data that they need to comply. So what are you seeing? In our product, we are all about intelligence and automation. So we want to give you that accessibility into your data, the ability to customize and to take batch action on your data. And because of these new regulations, there's a lot of startups who come forth and say they have all of the answers um, and it's hard to compare them on the business side to know what one does versus another and how they help because they're not going to all help with all aspects of all the data privacy laws. So there's those cookie companies that you that you mentioned. Um, there's which is not I don't know rocket science I think. No. <laughs> um, but there's also other types of products that are, are geared more toward IT and understanding your data and being able to search for um, data to comply with a DSAR request. And that's, that's like what we do. Then there are just workflow companies that try to make sure when you get a DSAR request that it's sent to the correct um, department right. in your organization. Mm-hmm. Um, there are those mapping type of programs that we've talked about before that really are more of a manual process where you're visualizing where your data lives, um, but you have to manually enter in what that data is. Um, so it's, it's getting to be a pretty crowded space. And 
Right now with the pandemic, I think some of these companies are consolidating and we're seeing a few um, leaders pull forward. So it's, it's definitely still in flux and it's still a newer um, emerging market um, just since GDPR really. Mm-hmm. So when that, that was you know, passed in 2018, so it's only been two years that this market has kind of emerged. And I, I, I love having that front row seat just to see what everybody's bringing to the table. Yeah. I wonder, um, so CCPA has been very confusing. So CCPA is funny. So the CCPA is extremely prescriptive in ways that people are kind of annoyed with. Like it says, put this button on your website and it has to say this where GDPR isn't as prescriptive and people are upset about that because they said, you know, <laughs> they don't it's know too what to general. Do. <laughs> it's too general. I can't, <laughs> can't really like interpret what that is. But uh, from your, your point of view and your clients, because the CCPA, I feel is, you know, to me, it's a tough regulation uh, because there are just so many parts and pieces and, uh, you know, you have to figure out, like, you know, does it apply to me? Does it not apply to me? You know, uh, if I make more money, will it apply to me? If I have, you know, this customer moves, you know, they were in Illinois yesterday, now they're in California and all this type of stuff. What What are you seeing as people's biggest data challenge or challenge in general with CCPA currently? In terms of data, I mean, it's it's just knowing what you have that's that's really challenging people have trouble uh, locating the the unstructured data which you know is is the data that sits outside of databases Um, there's so many different data sources that uh, and storage locations that businesses have so there's not only are there multiple clouds that um, that hosts their data, but then there's the on-site, on-prem storage. There's endpoints for all of the employees. Each employee has their own computer and workstation where they are probably downloading things that they're not supposed to. So it's really challenging to have that oversight and have that visibility into what you have and where your potential risks are. And I think it's also um, really difficult to take action on that, right? So a lot of, some companies just will tell you what the problem is, but they don't tell you how to fix it. And that's, that, that isn't really that helpful. So <laughs> you need to be able to, yeah, not just, to, not just know what the risk is, but, how, but know how to fix it. Yeah, it's like, beware, here's a pothole, don't fall into it, you know, right. do it at yeah. your own risk. Uh, right, it's like those, those, fall, those falling ice signs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, so I feel like, I don't know, when I saw the CCPA came about, you know, in a very unusual way um, with it being sort of a threatened, valid initiative, and then they had to create a law, and then they sort of tried to winnow the law down, and now we have CPRA, and it was a valid initiative, so they, even though they can change it, they can't make it less stringent uh, than it is, so it's, um, you know, California's been really interesting over the years. Um, yeah, and I mean, even, even like, there's there's been changes to the 
CCPA just since it went into effect in January. I mean, it hasn't even been a year and they're, they're changing the law already. So it's a lot to keep track of and customers are, are having trouble. They don't know what, uh, what laws apply to them necessarily because there's, it depends on the country that they're operating in, where, they're, where their customers are, um, which is not something that legal has access to usually it's they don't always um, have access into access to the data and to the same business resources that other departments have so they need to go through IT and and make a request and um, it becomes it becomes really complicated to get something done when you're working across different departments in an organization without strong leadership at the top at from a data privacy perspective that, you know, really cares about it. Yeah. With the CPRA now going to be in effect in uh, 2023, what big changes do you foresee because of the CPRA that we haven't yet seen the CCPA? Is that a hard question? <laughs> no, no. I, I, I think one of the new the new unknowns is this this new um, enforcement agency, CPPA. So we don't know what they're going to do. They have the ability to make new laws and um, give new guidance, which I think will be helpful. I mean, I think in we where we like having a more prescriptive approach here, um, knowing you know what we what we can do and what we can't. So the other concern is that a federal law will come along and replace CPRA and then we're going to have to throw that out the window um, and all of the other state laws. So, so it, there's, it's, it's really a lot of unknown and that's, that is a big challenge. How do you, how do you stay flexible and how do you um, implement a solution that can adapt to all of these new changes that are possibly coming down the pipeline. But from my perspective, I think the CPRA, it's clarifying a lot of things that CCPA didn't get right the first time or that was, that was too vague. It's also, especially in terms of litigation, right? How can you, how can you bring a lawsuit under this, under this CCPA? It hasn't been clear. That's still um, making its way down the pipeline. Um, if that's a little bit clearer and CPRA, they, they talk about what some of the definitions are more this, there's a new definition for sensitive private information, sensitive personal information. So I like, I like that there's more, there's a little bit more clarity, but like I said, there's more complexity and, and additional unknowns. Yeah. The thing that was very, I, opening or eyebrow raising with the CPRA to me was the ability for a person to be able to request an edit or mm -hmm. update to their record. Um, right. I told someone else about that. And they were like, what? Oh, this is insane. So uh, people who are under GDPR, they're familiar with that because that was right. already in there. And for the California law, it was purposely left out because they knew it was like super hard. Like it's easier to delete something and to say, here's the data. It. How can you change it? And a lot of companies don't have like either the staffing, the process and pr procedure in place 
to actually be able to serve up that data in a way that a person could edit it. Um, so to me, that that's all the more reason to go through your data right now and be able to get rid of things that you don't need uh, because the, you know, I had a cybersecurity person say this, it made perfect sense. It's like, you know, the less stuff you have, the less stuff we have to protect. Right. The less stuff yeah. you have, the less data privacy issues that you have. So especially and your, think, go ahead. No, I think attorneys are, are becoming more understanding of that. There has historically been this mentality around big data that the more, the better that, you know, let's keep everything forever because you never know when you're going to need it. But being able to winnow that data down into what is necessary, what is usable, um, what suits your business purpose um, makes makes a lot of sense to me. So there's this now this proportionality requirement under the CPRA, which you have to make sure that your the data that you are um, collecting for a specific purpose is proportional to the need to the business need. Um, that makes, you know, that, that makes sense to me. And I think it's speaks to this change in perspective about data. It's not something that you should be hoarding. It's about something that you should be using intentionally to some sort of end. Like, what are you going to do with the data? Why, why else would you collect it? Yeah. I feel like this really hits on uh, an issue in the legal space that I feel like we've had that comes up in e-discovery all the time that it's like keeping stuff way, way too long. You know, mm -hmm. even though people make a lot of money from that because <laughs> you store stuff and you have to pay for it, obviously. But, right. you know, the idea that it's just sort of open end, I don't know, you know, legal holes go on for years and years and years with no really good reason. Um, and then just the cost associated with that, I think people, uh, it's funny. So it's like, um, like if you have someone who has a case, it's really hot and heavy in the discovery stage. And then they, they like to go into like whatever the next case is. So it's almost like a case that has a lot of data. It's like an abandoned amusement park, right? So it's still all the stuff is still there, but no one's actually using it. So Right. They, they put it into like cold storage. Um, you know, you, you have it in this, this different tier storage, but it's, I think it's it's there's a, there is this fundamental shift that's that's happening with with the mentality around big data because the technology is emerging that makes it easier to have insights into that data. I mean big data analytics that that term has been around for a while but it didn't mean a lot when <laughs> you really couldn't when the data wasn't clean. Yeah. Um you know and they'll big companies will hire data um, analysts. They're, they're concerned about big data. How can we use it? How do we make that into a competitive advantage? Um, how do we monetize it? And even large companies that you think have their data act together, um, because they're all about data, that's like what they do. <laughs> they don't, they don't, they don't know, they don't understand it. They don't know what they have. And only now are some solutions coming out that actually give you those insights that you can use that are that are useful to you. Yeah, I always say, and my European counterparts don't like this phrase, but people say like the uh, data is the new goal because to them, data, especially data about themselves, is very personal. It's about sort of a human, and they don't like the idea of like 
the commoditization of data, even mm-hmm. though that's exactly what's happening. But I like to say that insight is a new goal because if you have a lot of data, you can't make insights from it. It's like worthless. Right. It's just junk. Right. And if you are not capturing all of your data sources, if you're not capturing all of the data that you have, then it's an incomplete picture. Then you're, you know, your, your projections are going to be wrong. I mean, when, when I went to business school, I was surprised that you can make the data say what you want it to say. There's so many different ways to manipulate it that you can always make kind of an upwards line um, going up and to the right. And just by changing the inputs, changing the messaging somewhat, you can really change the the message that comes through, change the insight. So uh, data is only as good as your ability to draw insights from it. Yeah. I hope that people are not or try not to be digital pack rats. So I like to call, sometimes when you talk corporations, like hoarders, the corporate edition. It's like, you know, yeah. Yeah. Data on top of data on top of data, copies on yeah. top of copies, you know, yeah. stuff in back rooms, stuff in, especially the cloud now, you know, it's mm-hmm. easy, so easy for someone to like go into the cloud, put data there. And a lot of companies are having problems like shadow IT, where their data sources they don't even know about the people created or they thought, you know, oh, this data is deleted. Oh, but marketing has like, you know, they have all the emails or whatever. So that's like always a challenge. Um, mm-hmm. I would love to know, what are your thoughts about the possibility of there being a federal data privacy law in the U.S.? Is it going to happen? Not going to happen? <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean, having having anything, you know, get get through... Um, legislation on the federal level has been a challenge over the past four years. Like there's just been so much conflict. I think it'll really depend on, you know, the the elections that are that are still pending to know what what the Senate makeup is going to be. If we can, you know, if Democrats can push through um, more legislation. But I think the the Democratic House is more interested in those type of laws and they've they've put forward some proposals in that space. What I think is interesting too is I mean you see that from the hearings that uh, that that they that they did with Facebook and and Mark Zuckerberg that they don't really understand <laughs> um, <laughs> data or social media. I mean they're like what is the Twitter um, it's they have they have no idea, so they need that type of education first. I think before they they know that it's an issue, right? Because of the elections, because of things that have been happening with Cambridge Analytica that are very newsworthy. But it's bridging that like education gap, um, and that's very much true for attorneys in general and in, in, um, general counsel in house. They don't understand always the the full scope of the issue they don't always understand the full scope of the technology and it's it's not something that you that might that might be something like t- typical legislation where you kind of negotiate both sides of the table right you're going to want to be prescriptive you're going to want to understand all of the facts and make sure that 
you're protecting the interests of, of the public. Cause if you, if there's a loophole, then that doesn't, that doesn't serve anybody. Yeah. Yeah. So if you had your, your wish, if it was the world according to Beth and everyone listening to whatever, everything you said, what would your wish be for like data privacy, either in the U S or in the world? I would really enjoy everybody understanding the importance of, of data privacy and how everybody within an organization needs to be a data steward. Um, everybody within an organization is, should be responsible for their own data and um, keeping a clean house that not all of the uh, responsibility can fall on IT because they don't have the legal background. They don't have the, the compliance side of the house and not everything can fall on legal and compliance because they don't know as much of the technical side they can't implement. Um, there really needs to be a bridge between all departments so that um, you really can work cross-functionally at a high level to implement change and to make sure that you, have, you change the culture of your organization and society in general to be more understanding of the risk and the potential benefits of, of data. That's a fantastic answer. I love that. It's funny. So I asked everyone on the podcast this question. I don't think I've ever gotten the same answer. And they're all good answers. These are all, <laughs> we need to put you guys in Congress or something. Uh, yep. So you can yeah. answer this question. But, uh, I'll, I'll let you know when I'm running. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like so many organizations have all these silos. You know, So there's like the IT silo. There's a legal type silo. There's compliance and privacy can't be siloed in that way. Like you can't solve this problem unless you're connecting and you're communicating and not everyone can know everything, but you need to be able to have people who can talk to those issues and talk and work across all these different groups and functions to make sure there's more cohesion. Um, you know, but that leadership has to come from the top. I mean, it's not going to be anything that, um, you can implement from the bottom. Everybody can be a data steward, but if the leadership within an organization doesn't understand the importance of it, doesn't value it, then you know that that culture is not going to be there, and it's not going to support that program. Wow, that's great! Look at you; those uh, little pearls of wisdom you put down there. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're coming to the, the end of our show. This is great. I'm glad we had this conversation. Um, Me too. You know, we end up collaborating on a lot of stuff, and it's interesting to see. I like your pragmatism, uh, which I, I'm very pragmatic as well. But then just understanding these issues and how you really need to, what you need to do to actually make a positive change, right? So we're all about getting you from where you are now to getting to a better place. So I think that's really great. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that it really speaks to the uh, purpose of, you know, our product and our organization. It's just that we care about data intelligence and automation. We care about, you know, making meaningful insights and um, bridging all of those gaps within an organization, making sure that the data is usable and, and helpful to, to multiple players in an easily accessible way that even an attorney like me could use. 
<laughs> so uh, tell people how they can contact you and contact uh, Operavi. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, you can go to operavi.com, A-P-A-R-A-V-I.com, um, and click Get Started. Um, you can also follow us on uh, LinkedIn, and um, we have some Bright Talk webinars that, uh, that we do pretty frequently. So if you're interested in more um, continuing education, check that out. We also have a, a free version that you can download on the Microsoft Azure Marketplace. So lots of ways to get started with a free trial and free data assessment. And hope, we hope you'll take advantage of it. Great. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. And we'll be talking very soon. I look forward to it. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Thanks so much. Bye.